Welcome to Bartel Radio. I'm Cass Enright. Black Friday is a term that conjures up feelings of shopping frenzies, of early morning stampedes to malls for deals on things that people probably don't need very much. But for those who love beer, it's also become a frenzy over the past few years, but not in the pursuit of flat-screen TVs or dishwashers. No, Black Friday now signifies the annual release date of one of the most sought-after beers in the United States, Goose Island's Bourbon County Brand Stout. Bourbon County Brand Stout, or BCBS, is arguably the centerpiece of Goose Island's vast beer barrel aging program. Goose Island has been barrel aging beer since the early 90s, frequently touting that they were the first to do such a thing. Like hearing a line from a classic film in conversation, beer barrel aging is so common in today's beer culture, it is hard to imagine a time where it was a novelty. But Goose Island can lay claim to trailblazing this unique method of aging beer, to the tune of now possessing over 6,000 barrels in use at their brewery. BCBS is a strong imperial stout, one that is aged for a significant period of time in used American bourbon barrels. It packs a punch of flavor, depth, alcohol, and complexity. And people want it. Due to the inherent limited capacity of barrel-aged beers, BCBS is released for retail sale only once a year, in scarce quantities on Black Friday, to coincide with America's largest shopping day of the year. Whereas you may find lineups in front of Best Buys and Walmarts on Black Friday, you'll now find them in front of liquor stores in the cities fortunate enough to receive an allotment of this fine brew. Over the years, the BCBS portfolio has expanded to include variants, flavored or otherwise unique offshoots of the main beer. Past variants have included unique flavor additions such as berries, coconut, coffee, and vanilla. These variants have only added fuel to the BCBS frenzy, as they are even rarer than the regular beer, and in turn harder to get your hands on. The celebration of the release of BCBS on Black Friday goes beyond the participating liquor stores. For the past number of years, Goose Island has hosted their own BCBS tasting event, held at their brew pub in their hometown of Chicago. At their Black Friday tasting, brewers and other staffers of Goose Island lead those fortunate enough to get a ticket through a tutored tasting of the year's BCBS release and variants. It's always a great opportunity to hear some of the interesting stories behind this famed beer, and I was fortunate enough to be permitted to record this year's tasting. So if you have some BCBS from this year, crack open a bottle and turn up the volume for an insider's listen into what BCBS is all about. And if you don't, you're going to want to make sure that you get in line for next year after this.
guys up front, and please introduce yourself. Yeah, I'll start. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm one of the cellar operators over at the Fulton Street Brewery. There's eight of us currently working in the cellars. I, my primary roles are yeast management, propagations, lot of cleaning. I scrub a lot of corners. We call ourselves janitors some days. Uh, overseeing fermentation and centrifugation and filtering of beer. These are not filtered, by the way, but that's my role. Uh, my name is Brad, and I, I'm currently at Clybourne, although I've worn a lot of different hats for Goose Island. And uh, aside from that, I'm, I'm uh, pleased to be drinking beer with you guys tonight, and this is session number four for me. Okay. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm currently in month four of my uh, internship apprenticeship at the brewery at Fulton, so brewer, intern, apprentice, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the unique thing about Goose Island is that our barrel program is incredibly huge, so as a first off intern apprentice, you start off in the barrel work. You don't move up into that. That's where you get hates. Um, so I've been spending the last four months doing all of these delightful beers, um, extracting them, filling barrels for next year, doing all the variants. Uh, we did about 2,100 Bourbon County South barrels. I personally tasted about 1,400 of them. So, job perks, right? Uh, yeah, I did it for you all, okay? Thank you. Uh, I'm Dave, I work also at the uh, Fulton Brewery. Um, I'm actually a, a maintenance manager, so I make sure all the equipment runs, stay running, um, so we can make uh, as much beer as we can and bottle quality beer. So that's my job. Uh, I don't necessarily get involved day to day with the uh, filling and emptying of barrels, but uh, I can assure you Sarah, many days, will come to the office and she just will have raspberry juice all over her. <laughs> Yeah. Another number. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Uh, no, so this is an English style barley wine, so a traditional barley wine, not an American style, so there will be no hot character there as you get oftentimes in American barley wines. Uh, we prefer that kind of malty rich sweetness to it. Uh, meshes very well with the bourbon barrels and the, the second use barrels. Um, I don't personally like barley wines at all, but this one I'm in love with. Um, I taste, we, again, about 400 barrels, I taste about 200 of them, and each barrel was so different. Some were really caramely and apple and some were really maple syrupy. Uh, each, every single barrel I pulled out, I loved, uh, which doesn't always happen, especially if you're tasting barrels after a, a lovely night out on the town. Um, Yes. Uh, so, so for the 30-70s, like, was that the same thing for last year? Was that no, last year was 80-20. 20% um, fresh, 80% second use. Uh, why the change? Uh, we wanted to bring out a little bit more of that bourbon character and a little less of that roasty char character. One thing uh, alcohol does that I notice is it really counteracts sweetness. So you hear of like strong Scotch ales and Scotch brewers are making 10% alcohol beers. And there were originally really sweet beers, but alcohol the higher you get, it can really kind of counteract sweetness as opposed to bitterness, which a lot of brewers know is the counterbalance to malt. Uh, but alcohol really plays into that as well. So again, like you said, these are not hoppy beers, but alcohol kind of helps balance that as well. It's going to get more of that bourbon character in compared to maybe last year's. So cheers. Uh, take a few minutes to enjoy. We'll walk around stop with questions. Bourbon County brand stout. Uh, so uh, each year this is always uh, subject to change in terms of flavor profile, uh, aging, temperature swings, uh, uh, selection of barrels. It's always going to kind of, uh, I guess it's uh, every year it's going to be a little bit different. I guess that would be called a, a cuvee, I guess. A cuvee. Cuvee. Uh, but um, a uh, total of about 2,100 oak uh, bourbon barrels were used in the filling of Bourbon County. Uh, this is a mixture of Elijah Craig, um, Knob Creek, Wild Turkey. There's a few old Fitzgerald barrels in there too every now and then. Old Fitzgerald. Uh, Buffalo Trace. Buffalo, Buffalo Trace, Trace. A lot of Buffalo Trace. Uh, all kind of accumulating and mixing uh, all their own special elements uh, to kind of make uh, Bourbon County this year what it is. So we buy our barrels from a barrel distributor. They buy them from uh, bourbon distilleries. So legally, a bourbon has to be aged in brand new barrels, and then they have, then they usually sell them off. Um, barrel distributors sell the majority of them to Irish and Scotch distilleries because they don't have such laws. They'll break it, break it down, scrape the char off, rechar it, put it back together, and then age their Scotch and whiskey in it, or Scotch and Irish whiskey in it. Um, a small portion is designated for American breweries, as I'm sure you all know, you know bourbon barrel aged beers are uh, increasingly high in demand and increasing just in production as well. Uh, so it is very difficult to get barrels because there's such a small portion designated for breweries. Uh, but we do have the largest barrel aging program in the country. We have over 3,000 bourbon barrels and then over 3,000 wine barrels as well. Uh, that's for our sour program, which we're not going to talk about today. Because today's all about bourbon um, or rye whiskey. Uh, so we do, we do tell our barrel distributor that we want at least eight-year-old uh, barrels. Uh, from the distillery, so but sometimes that's just not possible to get all that, so they'll just throw us a few here and there. Uh, but I have seen every single one of these barrels, uh, both emptying and filling, and they are all, I'd say, like 99% eight year or older. Um, every now and then, again, you see an old Fitzgerald in there, but that's classic American bourbon, so what are you gonna do? Um, America, right? America. Yeah. Um, 
And each distillery really does have a very unique taste to it. I tried a Buffalo Trace barrel aged beer at Fobab, and I knew that was Buffalo Trace before you even told me what it was, because each barrel uh, from a distillery has such a unique, distinct taste to it. And each distillery does provide a very uh, unique aspect. So we're not too picky about it as long as it's at least eight years so that it has enough bourbon soaked into the wood. Uh, now, these barrels are not uh, temperature controlled. We put them in a warehouse and we let the elements go with it. Because uh, the barrel of the wood is going to expand and contract as it goes through heating and cooling. So this year's Bourbon County style was aged eight to 13 months. Because uh, we want at least two and a half, three seasons. Uh, so at least a hot season, one cold season, and whatever the hell Chicago gives us for the third season. Uh, you know, it's Chicago. Uh, because as the barrel contracts and expands, the bourbon that's soaked into the wood is going to kind of seep out, and the beer is going to soak into the wood. You get a lot of mixing and interaction with that, with the char of the barrel, with the bourbon layer, and then not too much with the raw wood of the layer behind the bourbon layer. But you are going to get some mixing and interaction. Uh, this year we did have a very cold winter. We had how many polar vortexes? Two? Three? Yeah. Um, and then we had a, we didn't have summer this year. It was barely even spring, in my opinion. I like the hot, humid weather. Uh, so Bourbon County South is very different this year than it was last year. And it's just a product of nature and the elements. Uh, we're not going to temperature control our bear warehouse. We're not going to force that contraction expansion because we just want to leave it up to nature. Leave it up to what, what they give us. What, whoever you believe in gives us. <laughs> um, and that is what it is. This year though, we did turn the heaters on when it was negative 40 for several days, uh, because even though this is a really high alcohol content beer, it will still crystallize, uh, and then that would be more of an ice bath, and that's illegal, so. Turned the heaters on for a few days just so it didn't crystallize. Any questions about Bourbon County Grand Staff? Yes, sir. You mentioned that you use a variety of different um, the barrels. Now, is that because you're intentionally trying to get these specific flavor profiles from them, especially when you blend? Or is it more of the byproduct of what else you mentioned that it's just hard to get them, so whatever you can get your hands on, you get your hands on? It's both. It's kind of best business practice, too, if you rely on one supplier. Uh, say something were to happen to that distillery. You know, uh, you guys could wipe out that certain distillery down in the south. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with that. You solely rely on one. You might run out next year. Uh, you don't know what we're going to give you every year. So the tornado might hit the rick house. It's really important that you know they're going to be in your favor. They're going to help you out and make sure you need what you need each year. And we are trying to grow on this kind This sweet liquor. So they're not always having tail each year and then running in and out anymore? Uh, but we still see those, absolutely. And I know that uh, when we do get certain barrels in that we value more, uh, I do know that like. Some of the higher ups will get together and be like, oh, let's do something fun with these, or let's blind them for a little more. And our our rare, at least a few years ago, was a good example of that. But I can't tell you anything for this because, as you know, I mean. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of you have heard rumors that Rare is coming out, or Rare 2.0, or Rarer, uh, whatever you want to call it. It will have a different name, uh, and it is it's currently aging. It's the barrel that's seeping up on the, on the slideshow. Um, it's been aging for about two years in 33 year old barrels. Um, it will be coming out eventually, so we'll tell you that. A program that had originally started, depending on one distillery, that being Elijah Craig, uh, just because of just the sheer demand and the product and us wanting to produce more and more of it, we've had to kind of, uh, I guess, basically spread our, uh, spread our intake of barrels a little bit more. But originally what was Elijah Craig is now predominantly still Elijah Craig, but we do have to kind of resource out to a lot of other really great distilleries. So. We are using 3,000 total for Bourbon County and all of our uh, 
Um, that's a significant portion of the barrels that are set aside for breweries versus going to distilleries. And it's still growing because we have money. Uh, then threw that in in small batches into the tank. 
um, until we reach the desired sweetness level to balance out that, I shouldn't see that bitterness. Um, and that's, that's the beer. I like it to almost uh, Aztec hot chocolate. I remember working that day in the cellars and they were boiling this not so simple syrup uh, that they use coconut water as a base. First of all, I walk in and they're, they're cracking open a 24 ounce can of coconut water and I'm wondering to myself, like, that seems a little bit inefficient, but all right, I'll go with it. You know, I thought maybe they would just have these big tubs of coconut water. No, we cracked open cans and constantly filled these, uh, these small little kettles. Uh, took them a few hours, really, to, to do it all. Uh, so it just, you know, reminds me a lot about the passionate people we work with and uh, the craft that we are, a lot of hands on board. Um, but yeah, the, the, the not so simple syrups is just like this hot chocolate to me. You got this, this brown sugar, this vanilla sugar in it. You got this coconut water, which added another dimension. And then you add the cat spark later on. And, and by, the end, by the time it's done, I like it. PCS with some hot chocolate, you know, some Aztec kind of, you know, kind of spiciness to it. So I, that's my little scoop from the salad, for sure. You know, and I've, I've got to say that, you know, really, Looking at the, the amount of time that, that's put into making a beer like proprietors, it, it, it's amazing. The, the, I mean, it, you know, most beers are brewed, they're fermented, they're filtered, they're bottled out the door. I mean, this is a beer that sits in barrels. This is a beer that, that you know, that, that's dry hopped, that, that there's so many ingredients that are, that are handled, that, are, that have to be really worked um, to get this beer where we want it. So this is just not a, a out the door kind of beer. This is a really a beer that we we really put a lot of time and effort and mental energy. Um, I remember the day that that we were in the tasting room and we were trying to really figure out, you know, what will proprietors to be this year? And, and uh, not that I get to be part of that, but you know, I stuck my head in there at least, you know. And, and uh, so the you know Brett, the brewmaster, and all the other brewers, you know, head brewer and everybody, they're all in there. And, and it's just amazing, you know, like all the different like flavors, you know, like what about this, what about that, what about this, you know, how can we do this, how can we really get that flavor into the beer. Um, so you guys, you, you, you just please appreciate it, there was a ton of work that was put into this beer, this is not an easy beer to put together, and and, and really hats off to all the brewers and, and cellarmen that, that really worked a lot to, to do, uh, not only the proprietors, but also vanilla. Um, and, and BCS for that matter. It, it takes a lot of work. So enjoy. Enjoy. It's awesome. Cheers. and rye gives your beer a little bit more of a spicy characteristic. Um, and then the rye barrels also add to that spiciness. So this is a different beer than the vanilla rye, excuse me, vanilla in 2010. Um, many of you know it and love it, uh, don't think it's gonna be the same. So that's, my, that's a little bit of my warning to you. Uh, so you're gonna get a little bit of spiciness to it and then the vanilla characteristic as well. Uh, we did many different trials for this before deciding on which vanilla beans to use and the quantity to use as well. Uh, we ended up with a 70-30 split, 70% Madagascar vanilla beans, 30% Mexican vanilla beans. 
Uh, Madagascar is the, lar the world's largest producer of vanilla beans, and Mexico is actually the, the country of origin for vanilla. Uh, that's where it's indigenous to. So we chose the original country and the largest producing country. Uh, Mexican vanilla beans also have more flavors, and uh, Madagascar offer more aromatics. So we get some balancing between the two as well. Um, now in 2010, when we did the vanilla variant, uh, we hand-sliced every single bean, not we, me personally, but the brewers did, hand-sliced every single vanilla bean before putting it into the barrel. Uh, we started doing that, it took about eight brewers, eight hours to hand-slice two pounds of vanilla beans. This year we used about 470 pounds of vanilla beans, so you do the math on how long that would take. Uh, we didn't want to do that, we didn't want to take weeks off to just slice vanilla beans. Uh, we're trying to find a faster way to do it. One of our wholesaler consumer guys, Brian Clow, said, use a buffalo chopper, guys. Stop slicing. Uh, so we went over to Kendall College and used their buffalo chopper. It's an industrial size sausage maker. Uh, so you take the vanilla beans, shove it in there, it's going to chop them up. Uh, there is a photo up here with a pitcher pouring that chopped up mash into the, the, into the barrel. And you'll see it comes out with a really nice consistency. Uh, instead of slicing and scraping the beans, just buffalo chop them. Easy peasy, mac and cheesy. Uh, we put the beans in there. Um, we did several different trials uh, between two and three months long. So the barrels, the rye whiskey barrels, do <clears throat> they full Bourbon County stout, aged on their own for three to four months, and then aged with vanilla beans on them two to three months. Uh, we were tasting them all throughout the, the process. Uh, the barrels that are in the slideshow sitting outside the street, uh, those are all the vanilla barrels that we opened up and tasted because we tasted all 200 of them in one day. And that was fun. <laughs> that was actually a really fun day. Um, just, to see, just to see if the vanilla is ready or not. And it wasn't. We had to do that twice. Uh, but the vanilla, when we had to extract it from the barrels because of production deadlines, because we really wanted you to have it on Black Friday, uh, the vanilla wasn't quite where we wanted it to be. So we did. We pulled out that grinding again, which is what we use again for proprietors. We filled about 70 pounds of vanilla beans, mostly Madagascar this time, because the flavor was there, but not the aroma. Uh, and then we recirculated the tank for 8 to 12, 14 hours, depending on who you asked and who was watching at the time. Um, and then at certain time periods, we gave samples up to Mike Siegel, our head innovation brewer, Brett Porter, our brewmaster, uh, and Eric Ponce, our head barrel uh, brewer. And they would tell you if they thought it was good or, or needed more time. And then at a certain point, we said it was good, uh, shot off the, the Grundy, and the seller took over. How was it from so. there? Uh, from what I've heard in the past, so I've been with Goose for about eight months, and from what I've heard in the past that uh, the proprietors in, in Manila were especially, especially more difficult to extract from the barrels. Yeah. Um, I've heard horror stories of uh, these ingredients clogging up the centrifuge. And what do I do now? I run a centrifuge when I process these beers. And every time you have to stop the centrifuge, you're going to lose product. Unfortunately, you're going to rinse it out with water. So I've heard our numbers this year, our yields overall were much better. Uh, so the headache stories were there for me, but I wasn't going to jump out of it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this year, uh, as always, you're always trying to think of innovation doesn't always mean what's next. What's, what's the next fruit we can use? What's the next vanilla we can use? That's not really necessarily innovating. It's also how can we do it better year after year after year. So it comes from a process standpoint. Um, so you're not clogging up your, your system or you know having difficulty extracting, and then you you're putting more labor into it. It just goes into headache more and more headaches. So this year I've heard everything just you know kind of came together. There is also a photo coming up soon of the extraction wand clogged full of vanilla beans, uh, and that happens about every two minutes. Uh, and it takes, there, there it is. Uh, it takes usually three and a 
half, four minutes to extract one bourbon barrel, and every two minutes it's getting so clogged with vanilla beans that we have to stop to pull the beans out. Um, and then also, when the tank is full, we recirculate it just so it doesn't have layers of barrels in it. Uh, the tank got so clogged with vanilla beans at the bottom that we couldn't recirculate it. So we had to open up the bottom of the tank, which is dangerous, uh, because if it's not really clogged, everything just falls out. Um, but we had to open up the bottom of the tank to unclog it from vanilla beans. So vanilla beans get stuck everywhere. Uh, but you guys wanted it so bad, we did it again. <laughs> just a slightly different variant. And kind of going back to what Dave said, I, I personally don't have a lot of uh, involvement in the production of these uh, beers. I, I operate here out of the brew pub, uh, myself and one other brewer, but I know that firsthand that these beers are not easy to brew. They take a really long time. Uh, they're incredibly to the point of being stupidly inefficient and impractical <laughs> and very impractical, but the resulting product is something that is makes it completely worth it at the end of the day. At the, uh, you know, on our end, when we brew uh, just small tin barrel batches specifically for barrel aging, well, uh, high gravity beers are really hard to brew. You never get the yield that you're looking for, so you already have to kind of swallow anywhere from a 10 to 15% loss on that. Uh, filling barrels, you're always going to get loss off that. Aging another year, you're getting another 10% loss. Packaging, another 5% loss. So basically, by the end of the day, you've lost about 30% of the product that you originally brewed. And uh, and we haven't even added ingredients to those barrels yet. So uh, you can throw in another 15% when you start adding fruits into your barrel, or cocoa nibs, or coconut, or anything. So these beers are not easy to brew, but they're fun to brew and uh, they're equally as challenging. So that's why not just Gusan, but every brewery in the country who uh, wants to involve themselves in, in the barrel game are doing it. And it's just a really fun thing to be a part of. And sometimes you siphon beer out of the barrel. <laughs> because there's a crack in it. <laughs> yeah. I have a barrel aging question. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't cite the source on something, but one thing that I heard for the process of keeping down uh, maximizing like the, the flavors in the base and minimizing the oxidation, especially if there's adjuncts added, was to refill the, the barrel, especially every time it's tasted or during the, the cold seasons, with the base and allowing it to overfill throughout the bung. Is that something that Goose does as You're well? You're talking about topping no. it off? It's basically topping it off with yeah. the base. Yeah, you we don't? We don't. Uh, we, we, you'll see we overflow it and then we bung it off and that's it. Also, how the hell do you get that head on your bourbon can? Oh, and, uh, pour straight into a pitcher. Yeah. And I to it. Open the bottle and just go like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't top off throughout the process. We yeah. overflow it when we first fill it. So there's also a huge loss there because every single barrel is overflowing. And not just foam, we overflow until you see beer. Uh, so beer all the way up to the top of the bung and then smash the bung in and then beer pops out. Um, so. We, but when we do open up for tasting or for adding the ingredient, we're not going to top off from there. Uh, that's just a logistical nightmare. Um, we are brewing Bourbon County Stout year-round. Um, we used to just do it seasonally, fill seasonally, empty seasonally. Now it is a year-round process because of the new barrel warehouse. Um, and adding new unaged BCS on top of aged BCS would just be way too complex. These, uh, these high-gravity beers, uh, that with so much alcohol in them, they're really resilient to oxidation, and any oxidation that it does get is always quite pleasant versus a 5% pale ale or something. Uh, 
Sour beers are really the only thing that you have to be a little bit more watchful of when topping barrels off. Maybe most of the time is a pretty necessary thing to kind of limit oxidation, but not always necessary. Uh, but with these higher gravity beers, it's not really always a huge concern. If you're an OCD brewer, then sure. But if you're filling up uh, two, 3,000 barrels of it, uh, you know what, and it's gonna be blended at the end of the day, and it's not really that huge of a concern at the end of the day. And after, it, it, doesn't take, it takes about two years, and over two years for the oxidation factor to start having a negative effect on the barrelation process. So up until two years or two plus years, we're not too concerned about it. I can only offer a little insight. I don't distill or anything, but I do know that you know because they're aging for so much longer than us do, seven, eight years. You, you, I think they're probably way more concerned with the angel share or the devil's cut that gets lost to that process, the evaporation. Whereas a year, you know, you're lost. You are losing a little, but maybe not as much over the grand scheme of things. So maybe that's another reason. And just these are things that we think of all the time. It's kind of our job. Just got to think of the parameters involved. Yeah. Of a 55-gallon uh, oak barrel. Uh, generally, uh, anywhere from 10 to 12 months, you're losing about five gallons of beer, just on, if you're on uh, no adjuncts alone. So anywhere from five to seven. So it's, we're getting pretty good, considerable, uh, uh, pretty good yields, but uh, you know, 10% when you're doing 3,000 barrels is quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's just the nature of the product at the end of the day. How often are you guys tasting the barrels? Um, you probably have it often. Yeah. We've been doing it so long that yeah. we know after, we're not going to touch it by Every three, three, four months. months. Three, four what? months or so. Uh, it also depends on the variant. Uh, if it's just original BCS, nine months, maybe. Uh, seven months at the minimum, usually. We're not going to taste it too often. Uh, the variants every two, three months or so. Uh, it's really not that often. It's just kind of, it's, it's going to do its thing. It, the, the more often we open it up, the more susceptible it is to uh, contamination bacteria, wild yeast strains, um, more oxygen's getting in there, so we're just going to let it sit for as long as possible until we actually have to try it, um, either for the flavor profile, for whatever variant we're doing, uh, whether it be coffee or, you know, proprietors or the other dry variant. Uh, but usually around six, seven months, original BCS, we'll start trying then and see where it is, and then we'll start flagging them just to be good to go. Um, but not always six, seven, sometimes we wait till eight months, so just go for it. Sometimes you don't try it, just go for it. It's a joke, guys, it's a joke. <laughs> Uh, the farm is called 
Sirikana. Thank you, Sirikana. Um, African coffees on the whole tend to be really bright, full-bodied, a lot of citrus. Uh, but we didn't add coffee to the beer as you might assume. And not brew a big pot of coffee and dump it in a tank. We did not also grind up the coffee grounds and put it in the beer. Because Bourbon County is an especially high ABV beer, that high alcohol would assist in extracting a lot of the astringency in the coffee, which would kind of be unpleasant. So we did the exact opposite. We made a cold infusion coffee. Got a big tank. We ground the coffee really coarse, like you would for a press pot, pumped in cold filtered water, and let it sit for almost a day. Uh, then we essentially siphoned off the uh, coffee from the top, pumped it into a bright tank with the finished Bourbon County. Uh, and as I didn't already mention, just to reiterate, the base for Bourbon County coffee is the Bourbon County brand stout. We did about 240 barrels this year. Uh, we used about 1,800 pounds of this Rwandan coffee. And by the way, it came from Intelligentsia. Intelligentsia has always been our partner. In addition to the fact that they're really badass guys and they make badass coffee, they also happen to be right next door to us. So uh, they are, they're a given partner, and we will continue to partner with them in the future. Uh, the coffee uh, only sat in the beer for a couple weeks in the bright tank, and then we, uh, we packaged it up. Am I missing anything? Any questions? We composted all of those coffee remains. <laughs> oh, yes! That's what it is. We're really green, you know. Yeah. We're yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, this is a single origin coffee um, from Rwanda, so that's also incredibly important. We do several blind tastings, cuppings, throughout the January, February months, and then we'll choose our favorites. Um, and then from there, we'll hear about the story. So ultimately, though, the flavor of the coffee is the most important factor. But if the coffee has a fantastic story and it's tied to another one, that's also something we'll take into factor. Uh, this is a family-run farm in Rwanda, which is a country still rebuilding itself. Um, beautiful story, and it's on, I'm not sure if it's served by fair trade, but it is on par with fair trade. Um, it's a really great story overall for the student. With a growing trend, government is barrel-aged coffee. So is there any thought of putting barrel-aged coffee in the barrel-aged beer? That's not something to my knowledge that we have experimented with. You talking about dark matter? Yeah. yeah. They make awesome stuff. They <laughs> 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 like to put the barrel-aged coffee in the barrel-aged right. beer. So they, well, it's very limited releases that they have that barrel-aged coffee because it takes so much time to get those barrels and put their coffee in the barrels. So I think uh, currently they're just selling it on their own. Mm -hmm. um, it's absolutely awesome to, to yeah, it would absolutely be awesome to do a blending project with them like that, but I think they're trying to establish their program first, uh, which is understandable and, and respectful before we merge into that and creep on that. Uh, we, we have great relations with
Uh, we only had three brewers, so when we fill something like four barrels of one beer, hey, that's, that's an accomplishment for us. So, uh, you know, versus the 3,000, which uh, equally to be able to create a product of that scale uh, at that high, such high volume is a really beautiful thing. But, uh, you know, we focus on just doing really small batch things, so uh, I just wanted to take a chance to share uh, one of our products. Uh, one of our beers uh, on this uh, lineup because we felt that it would uh, kind of continue the trend of really great barrel aged beers. Jacob Alday has been very self deprecating about this beer. I want you guys to know that people have people waited in line at Fobat for, for this beer. Uh, this beer probably tapped for any for kind of very All right. It was Goose Island's Bourbon County Brand Stout event takes place over the course of multiple sessions on Black Friday itself, the day after American Thanksgiving. It occurs at Goose Island's Brew Pub, located on North Clybourne Avenue in Chicago. The Brew Pub itself is a great place to visit any time of year, as they feature a full slate of beers, both generally produced by Goose Island and brewed exclusively at the Brew Pub. And speaking of the Brew Pub, if you can't make it to Black Friday and want to learn more about Goose Island, they offer regular brew pub tours discussing the history and beers of the brewery. During my visit on Black Friday, I also recorded live one of their brewery tours, and we're going to feature that in our next episode. Stay tuned for that, and we hope you enjoyed this special episode of Bartel Radio. <laughs>